0: Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. It was a brutal murder in an unlikely setting. This is Method and Madness, episode 76. In Broad Daylight, Lucy Grease. I'm your host, Don Gandhi. Mr. Alfonso Grace opened the envelope in his hands and read in disbelief the threatening words on paper, quote, too bad the murder didn't happen to you, you decrepit, disgraceful old man, dignitary of a country out of delinquents from where you come. Let's dive in. Hi, and welcome to Episode 76 of Method and Madness. This is the final episode of Season 3, and I want to give a huge thank you to each and every one of you who've listened this year. It's an honor to be here and to bring these stories to the forefront. After a holiday hiatus, the show will return at the end of January. Season 4 has a lot in store, but if there's a case you'd like to see covered, please reach out to me on social media or at methodandmadnesspod at gmail.com. Have a very happy holiday season and a healthy new year. Today's case brings us back to the summer of 1963, August 25th. Elizabeth Taylor was gracing the silver screen in the number one film, Cleopatra. On the radio, the four seasons had fallen for a candy girl, Leslie Gore was gleeful, that it was Judy's turn to cry, and a 13-year-old named Little Stevie Wonder had a number one hit called Fingertips. As summer was coming to a close, the wealthiest of Philadelphia and New York City were enjoying their warm nights in a peaceful seaside town in New Jersey. Today, the setting isn't much different than it was then. Grand hotels and summer homes It's had its spot on the Forbes list of most expensive zip codes in the U.S., and it's a little-known secret of a getaway for those looking for a carefree weekend. Spring Lake, a picturesque resort town on the New Jersey coast, is the quiet retreat for the wealthiest of New York City and Philadelphia. Sprawling estates with manicured lawns and bushels of hydrangeas adorn nearly each and every yard. Not a single homeowner missing the memo that plastic furniture and broken children's toys shouldn't distract from the curb appeal. On 3rd Avenue, boutiques, restaurants, and ice cream shops light the way for families on evening walks. In the old days, locals rushed to the mom-and-pop coffee shop, Evelines, for their handmade donuts every morning, and even celebs like Telly Savalas, Dustin Hoffman, and some of the New York Yankees were fans. The Essex and Sussex Hotel was a luxurious five-story cottage, their brochure inviting the wealthiest and most influential to stay in one of their 75 guest rooms, offering up views of the beach on Ocean Avenue. In 1963, the nearly two-square-mile seaside community was safe. Crime was much lower than the national average, and back then, Spring Lake had a population of just under 3,000. One of those summer residents, the Chilean Consul General, Mr. Alfonso Grease, 73 years old. His home was a spacious bungalow on Pitney Avenue, where he lived with his wife, Lucy, 65 years old. Alfonso and Lucy had both been born in Chile and moved to the United States around 1918. In the mid-1930s, the couple purchased their seaside home on the Jersey Shore and spent their summers there, and in the colder months occupied their luxury apartment in New York City, where the consul's office was. Lucy loved working in her gardens, and neighbors said she'd meticulously close up the house each fall, preparing it for winter, wrapping the outdoor lamps, covering the pair of stone lions on the walkway with boxes. That was the official last task at the end of the season, and then the couple would return to New York City until the weather warmed up again. Spring and summer in Spring Lake meant peaceful beach days, late-night backyard barbecues, and a stroll down to the luncheonette and soda fountain on 3rd Ave for cherry cokes and lime rickies. It was Sunday, August 25th, and the consul and his wife were hosting guests at their summer bungalow the Argentine delegate and his wife. Alfonso and Lucy entertained and took in the summer air on the porch. They had some privacy from passerbys with several trees in their front yard and some shrubbery. Around 6 p.m., the consul said goodbye to his wife and he and their guests headed out the front door. It was time for Alfonso's weekly trip, 60 miles north to New York City, where he'd work throughout the week until returning the following weekend back to Spring Lake. Lucy and the couple's housekeeper, 30-year-old Hilda Cervantes, who'd been employed with them for about six months, cleaned up from the day of entertaining their visitors and locked up the house for the night. Just before 7 p.m., Lucy planned to watch a little TV and then head to bed. She switched on her television set and pulled out a chair in her dining room. On CBS, the talking horse Mr. Ed was signing off, and Lassie was coming up next. Upstairs, Hilda was turning down Lucy's bed, and then her own, when she was startled by the sound of unfamiliar voices. She turned toward the doorway, just as three intruders entered the bedroom. Two men and one woman stood before her, their faces covered with dark masks. Man number one was about five foot five, a black man weighing around 135 pounds. Man number two was also black but larger, six foot tall, approximately 200 pounds, both wearing black shirts, tall motorcycle style boots, and long black gloves. The woman, of medium build, was dressed in a black turtleneck and skirt. All three intruders were holding revolvers. One of the men grabbed Hilda, restraining her while the woman pushed her gun into the housekeeper's chest and demanded to know where the jewels were kept. Hilda, who was from Ecuador, responded in Spanish that she didn't speak English and couldn't understand it. The intruder then replied, Donde están los joyas, asking the same question in perfect Spanish. Terrified, Hilda told the woman that she didn't have any and didn't know where any was, She was then hit in the head with the butt of a gun, knocked unconscious. Later that evening, the phone rang and rang as Alfonso attempted to contact his wife from New York. There was no answer. The sun set that evening in a quiet summer neighborhood, went to sleep with no idea what had just happened next door. Hilda woke up and found that she'd been gagged and bound with bedsheets and her own apron her arms and her legs tied behind her. She was lying on the bedroom floor, unable to move. She could hear the phone ringing and wondered if her employer, Lucy, was somewhere in the house also injured and bound. Alfonso was calling again from New York. When he got no answer twice that morning, he called his stepson, Dr. Armand Grace, a physician who had a practice in Spring Lake. He, in turn, asked his wife, Helen, to go over to Pitney Ave and check in on his mother. Helen contacted the part-time gardener, Essa, that worked for Alfonso and Lucy, and the two met at the home on Pitney Avenue around 10.30 a.m. They knocked on the doors to no avail and walked around to the backyard. There, Helen discovered something that sent a chill up her spine. The screen of a first floor window had been cut. It was Essa who retrieved a ladder, entered the home, and unlocked a rear door for Helen. The two of them made their way through the interior of the home until, there, in a chair in the dining room, was Helen's mother-in-law, Mrs. Lucy Grace. She'd been bludgeoned to death. Hairs, bone fragments, and part of her skull was on the floor. The television, 12 feet away from her chair, was still on. Let's take a break.
1: Hear that jingle jingle? It could be Kris Kringle or a home invader coming down the chimney a jilted lover flashing a knife under the mistletoe, or a disgruntled co-worker at the office Christmas party lacing the punch with arsenic. It's disgusting. Jen and Cam, the hosts of our true crime podcast, are always on Santa's nice list. But this holiday season, they're filling your stockings with 12 nightmarish crimes committed by the lowest scumbags on the naughty list.
0: It happened in Florida, so everybody's oh. now going, oh. oh. Yeah.
1: They'll be coming down the chimney, counting down the 12 nights till Christmas. Did I say oh, it one, six? One, two, three,
0: four, five, yeah. seven, Eight, that's nine. it.
1: With a different true crime case every night, each one naughtier than the last.
0: This one is a doozy.
1: So spike your eggnog. It's going
0: to make you want to regurgitate.
1: tape. Because you'll need for our True Crime Podcast's 12 Nightmares Before Christmas. They're coming to town December 13th through 24th. Listen to our True Crime Podcast on your favorite podcast apps. Well, I
0: cannot wait. Hit me with it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Dive right in. Lucy Grace, the wife of the Chilean Consul General, had been murdered in broad daylight inside her home on Pitney Avenue in Spring Lake, New Jersey. Her husband had been en route to new york city with the guests he'd hosted that day and the couple's housekeeper 30-year-old hilda had been assaulted and bound left in an upstairs bedroom mattresses had been tossed and dresser drawers ransacked but not much else seemed to be amiss the police and emergency medical services were summoned and hilda was taken to fitkin hospital in nearby neptune her condition listed as fair meanwhile Mr. Alfonso Grace returned home, reportedly devastated. The medical examiner found that Lucy, whose skull had been shattered due to several blows to her head, died of a skull fracture. Her body was taken to Meehan Funeral Home, and 400 people attended her funeral the following week. Meanwhile, Hilda recovered and was held on $5,000 bail as a material witness. It was noted but there was no indication she'd suffered any head injury, possibly due to the large bun her hair was in, which could have protected her head. Hilda provided a description of the three intruders to the police, who had a feeling she may know more than she let on and was possibly too scared to give more details. Spring Lake Police speculated that Lucy's murderers must have snuck in very quietly, as Lucy never even had a chance to rise from her chair. And the rooms on the first floor, where Lucy was found, were relatively undisturbed. The weapon, used to fracture her skull, was not located, but was described as a blunt instrument. Out of an abundance of caution, and given the status of the homeowner, police stood guard outside the home for several days. Neighbors were questioned, but nobody had seen anything, which seemed odd. This was August. The sun was still out when the intruders approached and entered the Gray's home. The house was relatively close to the road. Aside from some shrubbery and trees, there were no fences preventing anyone from entering the property, and the backyard was fairly visible. Even with homes located close to the crime scene, nobody noticed three people dressed in black slinking through the backyard and entering through a window. Armed with the description of the three assailants, a manhunt spanned 13 states and two continents as officials launched a full investigation in Chile, where the consul and his wife were from. The murder made national news, headlines as far away as Napa Valley in California stated quote, manhunt on for killers of consul's wife. The details and all the reports varied. Lucy's age ranged from 60 to 65, depending on who was reporting. In some tellings of the murder, it occurred on a Saturday, while others said the brutal killing was done on Sunday. One consistency was that the police, FBI, and even Interpol were finding it difficult to make any progress. The manhunt spanning two continents was turning up nothing, and of course, motive was on everyone's minds. Some reports say that the Spring Lake home was ransacked—remember, those mattresses overturned and drawers rummaged through—as if someone were looking for something specific. What was discovered, after taking inventory of the valuables, was that just a lone jewelry box had been broken into—its contents, some of Lucy's costume jewelry. Other reports stated that there wasn't much of an attempt to find anything and that the invasion may have been staged, to look like a robbery. But why? One article, written 12 years after the unsolved murder, stated that the housekeeper, Hilda, who had no evidence of a head injury, was released from the hospital just 24 hours after being admitted. She was given a lie detector test, which she passed, and she told investigators that a couple weeks before the murder, Lucy had been outside in her garden when a woman pulled up in front of the house. The two got into a verbal argument, and after about ten minutes, Lucy grabbed a hose and sprayed it at the visitor, who in turn cursed at the consul's wife before driving off. Rumors were rampant, of course. Some, including family members and even the FBI, said the murder looked to be politically driven, given Alfonso's status. Investigations were being carried out in both Ecuador and Chile, with no luck. The Chilean consul was known for being adamantly against communism, a stance that in 1963 could be seen as waving a very red flag to a bull. Reports indicated that Alfonso Grace received threats to his home in the months leading up to the murder, including one that said his home would be blown up. The Daily Worker, a newspaper founded by communists and socialists, with headquarters in both Chicago and New York City, had featured Alfonso Grace in their publication often. If the murder had been committed by people the consul had angered due to his stance against communism, why was his wife targeted and not him? Fueling the rumors that this had been a targeted killing, Alfonso Grace told the police that despite having an unlisted phone number, He'd received strange phone calls in the weeks leading up to the home invasion and murder. When he'd pick up the phone, the caller would hang up. Shortly after the murder, Alfonso said that he received a threatening letter in the mail that read, Too bad the murder didn't happen to you, you decrepit, disgraceful old man, dignitary of a country of delinquents from where you come. A year went by. And another, and another, and frustrated investigators were clueless as to who had murdered Lucy Grace and why. There were reasons to believe that Lucy was not killed for some costume jewelry, and in fact, there was cash and pieces of valuable art that had been untouched in her home. Lucy kept her valuable jewelry in a safe deposit box at the bank and was diligent about keeping her house secure locking the doors even when she was home during the day. Her loved one said she wasn't the type to walk around flaunting flashy jewelry, either. With the timing of the invasion, police speculated that the trio may have been watching the house and that when Alfonso and his guests left for New York City, they assumed the house was empty. One week before the murder of Lucy Grace, a jewelry store in Spring Lake had been burglarized. Two men had put a deposit down on a lease for an empty store and were given a key. They'd entered their new property one night, cut a hole in the wall, and entered the J.R. Tack jewelry store that was directly next door. Once inside, they located and broke into a 700 pound safe and stole the contents, which was estimated in value at about $60,000 in diamonds, the equivalent of which would be about half a million dollars today. That robbery was said to have been a professional job, and the two men who'd leased the store next to the jeweler did not match the description of the intruders that Hilda described. In 2001, Spring Lake's police chief conducted a presentation to the community and addressed some of the unsolved crimes in the borough's history. One of those crimes was the still-unsolved burglary of the jewelry store as well as the murder of Lucy Grace. Both were coming up on their 40th anniversary. One personal frustration that Chief Dawson mentioned was that when trying to review documentation on Lucy's case, there was hardly anything to look at or to read. It seemed that the initial investigators had kept most of the pertinent information in their heads. As of December 2023, The murder of Lucy Grace is still unsolved. Let's review some of the facts and what the most likely motive may be. The murder occurred in broad daylight, in a home that was surrounded by other houses. The intruders entered minutes after the Chilean consul left the home for New York City. If robbery was in fact the motive, why murder a 65-year-old woman upon discovering her inside her home? You have guns, you're armed. You can use them to ask her where to find the items. You outnumber her, and she's not posing a threat while she sits in a chair watching Lassie. She never even saw her killers coming. And why murder the first resident you come across without even attempting to question her, but then leave the housekeeper alive and bound and able to provide a description of who you are? On the one hand, you could say that the intruders waited until they thought the house was empty. They may have been watching. On the flip side, it could be seen as rather convenient that the trio entered the home only minutes after the Chilean consul left, and only one person inside was killed, while the other not even seriously injured. Almost like it's what the intruders were instructed to do. Instructed by who? Reports show that just five months after the murder, in January of 1964, while Lyndon Johnson was declaring a war on poverty, the Chilean consul was living back in Chile, and his own family back in the U.S. lost touch with him. Alfonso Grace then did return to New York City and married his new bride, Florence Penry, a year later. Alfonso died in November 1966 of cancer at the age of 76. Was his new bride the woman that had the verbal altercation with Lucy Grace outside her home and was subsequently sprayed with a hose? This was Lucy's story. If you have any information about the murder of Lucy Grace, please contact the Spring Lake Police at 732 449 1234. Thank you for listening to this episode and this season of Method and Madness. If you haven't already, please leave a rating or review and make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast app. To connect, I'm on Instagram at MethodAndMadnessPod, X at MethodPod, and you can find me on TikTok and Facebook as well. To chat, suggest a case, or discuss the episode, reach out to me at methodandmadnesspod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is researched, written, and hosted by me. Sound editing is by Moen Spo. That's it for this year. Until next time, take care of yourself. For crisis support, text HELLO to 741-741.